0: Te Tefano koto te fano o Auckland Unitarianist. koto na here, No kite hui o te ra Hira kite ko papa o te ra. Ko clay Nelson toku igwa. No re ira tēnā kōtō, tēnā kōtō, tātō, katoa. Well, I wish I could welcome visitors, but I welcome you all, God, who are here faithfully each week. Uh, I bet you even know how many years we've been worshipping. She was always the first in class to put up her hand. And <laughs> um, so, and to those who are joining us online, welcome. Um, and if you're here in person, you're invited for a cup immediately following our service, it is our sacrament of hospitality. I thought I was done explaining the changes being proposed by the UUA. It turns out I was naive. A minister's work is never done and i su- suggest neither is yours. I keep getting emails from members of the congregation and members of Antzua expressing their difficulty with the changes. Some people are simply grieving. Some just don't understand why. One wonders if this is the best we can do. I seriously doubt my capacity to help them reconcile their feelings, but it is at least my job to try. So here it goes. My opening words are by Alondria Williams. We are worthy, not because of what we produce, but because of who we are. We are divine bodies of light and darkness. You are not worthy because of what you offer, not because of what is in your mind, not for the support you give others not for what you give at all. We are worthy and are whole just because. In this great turn, in this great pandemic, in this radical readjustment and alignment, we're not disposable, we are needed. We are the very people that have withstood everything that has been thrown at us as a people. And as Maya Angelou would say, still I rise. We arise from pain. We arise from grief, from the grief. We arise from the limits people place on us. The limits we place on ourselves. We rise to be the children and the ancestors. We rise to be our true selves in relationship to our families and communities. Recognizing our liberty and whole selves, honoring them and others as we strive for abundant communities abundant lives, abundant relationships, and abundant values, and cultural manifestations. We are worthiness personified, I, you, and we are worthy, and deserve a life where we are not always fighting for our existence. Imagine what we would create if we were not always in the struggle. Imagine what we could envision if we could just be let to just go there. So tired of always having to resist, to fight, demanding, pushing. To everyone that has the courage, the power, the ability to co-create what we want, and need. while rooting in, in what we can't lose and who we are. You are the visionary. You are the hope. You are our ancestors' dreams. Though you might not ever end up on some list somewhere, but you are on a list of someone's heart and mind. And if it's how, and if it's in how you move in the world, so people can see by example. You are the embodiment of what we need, thanks to all that you are, the embodiment. The embodiment, not of productivity, but the embodiment of radical love, care and sanctuary is time, embodiment time, embodiment living one's values out loud. Let me every day live my values out loud. Let us every day live our values out loud, embodying our values, not the Productivity quotient, beyond productivity, past productivity, true embodiment, life. Chris, would you do us the honor of lighting a chalice as I read the words? I've never done this before. Well, you know, first time for everything. With this? Yeah. In this free church, we come together without creed, focusing instead on the core values of justice, equity, and compassion, of mutual acceptance of our diverse ways of being, as we seek to connect ourselves more fully, with the unfolding truth of life and of our world. We come together in shared conviction that all people deserve a voice in matters that concern them, and that it is up to each of us to protect the rights of all, particularly those who, for whatever reason, have long been held in fire. We come together in the stubborn belief that community is possible, and that peace is more than a dream. We commit together to affirm in our actions, as well as our words, the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. We come together in awareness of our interdependence with all humanity and with the wider web of existence, for that too is part of what we met by we. In this free church, we come together without creed, believing the way we live in the world bears testament to the value of our belief. We light like this chalice as a beacon of hope for who, for those who have gathered here this day, for all who have ever walked through our doors, for those who may yet find this spiritual home, and for those whose paths will never come our way. For all this, and for all those things we dare to hope and read. we kindle our chalice play this day. And now, if you will join me reciting a covenant of our covenant. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is hard,
1: and service is a prayer. To love with the means is to acknowledge the truth, serve the kind self,
0: to the other, but also thus do we come with each other and with our God. Well, I've entitled my music. A better search work is never done and neither is yours. I keep getting inquiries about and objections to replacing principles with values. I thought I'd dealt with this issue. I mean, it was a lot of sermons. But apparently not satisfactorily, that's a hard word for myself, satisfactorily uh, for some. So let me try again. These changes did not come out of the blue. There are a couple of stories behind them. They tell stories about UU principles and values. In 2017, Mark Morrison Reed gave a lecture at First Church Boston entitled, A Black Hole in the White UU Psyche. A black hole in the white UU psyche. I have drawn heavily from his work to tell the story. In 1969, the UUA held its General Assembly at the Statler Hilton in Boston, which is now the Park Plaza Hotel. During the 40s, Egbert Ethelred Brown had been the only man of African descent you would have seen at their annual meeting. But 1969 was completely different. Most delegates had never seen so many black UUs, unless they had been in Cleveland for the General Assembly the year before. The black presence left many white UUs perplexed. Some even asked, where did they all come from? African Americans served as heads of the governing board of predominantly white UU congregations during the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. In 1956, a survey reported that 80 Unitarian congregations had African-American members, and in 49 of those congregations, African-Americans were active as officers. That means over 60 years ago, nearly 10% of Unitarian congregations had African-American members holding leadership positions. This, has, this was not common knowledge, be it 1969 or now. What is the consequence of not knowing? We see the lack of black leaders confirming the belief that Unitarian Universalism does not appeal to African Americans. Why don't we know this history? Why would we? When in the context of Unitarian Universalism and across the entire American milieu, black lives don't matter. African Americans were invisible in our scholarship. Their absence reflected the belief and contributed to the view that there was no story to tell. Yet African Americans had been founding members of Universalist, Unitarian, and UU congregations as early as 1785 when Gloucester Dalton was a signatory to the founding of John Murray's First Universalist congregation. There were other U-U congregations that black folks founded, or at least tried to found. In 1860, a Baptist minister, William Jackson, testified at the come a Is that the right word? uh uh convention of the American Unitarian Association to his conversion to Unitarian. They took a collection and set him on his way. Histori- historian Douglas Stange writes, no discussion, no welcome, no expression of praise, etc. Satisfaction was uttered that the unitary Gospel had reached the col- colors. African-Americans were nearly invisible in both worship and religious education as well. Consequently, we have embraced a false narrative about who we are. The fact is this, John Van Shake, who controlled Universalism's journal, the Christian leader, for 22 years, was an out-and-out racist. When he became editor of The Leader, articles about Universalist mission to the colored people disappeared from the front page and he said white Unitarian ministers were betraying their race, and he said, go elsewhere if they wish to be a minister. Are you confused? This faith you love has said repeatedly, sometimes in words, and more often in deeds. black lives don't matter. In America, at least, liberal religion was wedded to Anglo-Saxon culture. There was no doubt in William Ellery Channing's mind, or my personal hero, Theodore Parker's mind, of their own superiority. They believed, as did Sam Ellie and Lewis Cornish after them. That the New England, which is to say Yankee, Unitarian frame of mind, was something to be promulgated across America. From this racialist point of view, blacks write below the Irish and the Slavs. The behaviour of both Unitarian and Universalists was imbued with prejudice, and their racism was systemic. This is a harsh judgment, but better than perpetuating the assumption that Unitarians and Universalists were enlightened when they were not. Principles did not spare us from racist values. The chickens all came back to home to roost in 1969. Two years previously, while cities burned their riots, the black Unitarian Universalist caucus, sometimes known as the BAC, was formed. They searched for an identity more authentic than the feudal attempt to be carbon copies of white people. They saw, li- they saw white liberalism emphasis on integration as a one-way street that elevated white and debased black. Civil rights had changed the law, but had proved ineffective in remedying black poverty. Liberal religion had failed to address the experience of blackness or to settle an African American in a major pulpit. The group called for a new agenda, and by the time they emerged the BUUC Steering Committee had been formed. They insisted that the demand be voted up or down at General Assembly without debate, including a resolution that $1 million, 12% of the budget, be directed toward the black community for four years. Although the all tactic worked with the socially committed Euro-Americans at the conference, it was doomed to fail over the long haul because ultimately UUs are wedded to individuals and reflexively distrust and resist authority, whatever the conference The conference sent shockwaves through the UUA, leading to a walkout by black UUs and their white allies. Principles versus values nearly created a system. Ben Scott, who was there and later became Bach's treasure, recalled it was also traumatic I'm not the only UU who was irreversibly shaped by it. Thousands were born again. They came to a better understanding of the whole world through the BAC. They came to a thrilling sense of awesome potential of human society. In our little corner of the world, lifelong friendship, crumbled. marriages, dissolved, careers were ended, and congregations split into factions. Scott's words only hint at the intensity of the feelings, for many what happened during the ensuing years, being nothing less than life to fight. Paradigm shift away from integration and towards black self-determination was taking place, a change for which the UUA was ill-prepared. Some some depict this as a failure of vision. The paralysis, however, is understandable. How does one decide whether to support black demands for empowerment and justice or to respect the democratic process with its vagaries and delays. While the BAC won the vote, budget constraints prevented the UUA board from fulfilling fulfilling the demand. The, The BAC just affiliated from the UUA. Black UUs left their congregations in droves. The, the UUA stumbled and hatched. But the event also set the scene for women, lesbian and gay people, disabled, Hispanics, and other marginalised groups in the UUA, to speak up, claim their space and make demands. These identity groups also experience resistance, but the outcry was neither as prolonged nor intense. Who do they would challenge an oppressed group's right to gather together to explore its identity? formulate a strategy and take a stance. Never again since 1969 has the UUA Board of Trustees nominating committee or commission on a prison but without significant African American representation. Never again would we produce him a hymnal or religious education material without reference to the African American experience. The events set in motion by the Black Rebellion traumatized, but also transformed some and educated us all. As Ben Scott says. The tragedy would have been if successive generations had had to continue the struggle they did. Now, there's a second story that's related, a story about principles and values being in conflict, happened near the end of Peter Morales' term as UUA President. When elected in 2009, he was the first Latino and second person of color to hold the office. During Morales' presidency, the UUA embraced immigration reform and immigration rights as key priorities and promoted Black Lives Matter. Morales launched a comprehensive review of UU ministry early in his presidency as part of a push to make Unitarian Universalism a multicultural thing and pointed with pride to a great number of ministers and seminaries a preparing for UU ministry who are people of color. However, he was frustrated that hiring practices advantage white candidates over people of color, perpetuating white supremacy. He resigned as president three months before his term ended. When he left office, he called on the UUA to take seriously the question of how our policies, practices, leadership, and culture systemically center and advantage white people within UU. We acknowledge that it is time for us to examine more deeply than we ever had the patterns of institutional racism embedded in our leadership practices, including hiring. These stories were the beginning of taking our values as seriously as our principles, which would lead to the proposed changes in our bylaws. So what is the difference between principles and values and how are they related? The stories tell us two things, we have not always lived up to our principles. Principles help guide our behavior, but only if our values align. What you should know about persons, they don't change with time. They don't depend on the values you hold dear. They're independent of religions and personal belief systems. They're not up for debate. While plenty of religions take credit for the existence of principles, it's more accurate to say principles in concert with personal values guided the creation of religion and other beliefs. Put simply, your values are your why. The reason why you do what you do and think what you think. Values are part of your internal guidance system. According to science, values are mental processes involving cognition and emotion, thinking and feeling. That said, uh, to be effective, values must be actionable. They must be actionable. If your actions suggest otherwise, it's not less, say, your values are honesty, uh, courage, and tenacity. What else should you know about values? They're personal and subjective. They can't—they can change with time. Their merit depends on their alignment with with principles. Your habits and actions speak more about your values than your words do. So, what are the critical difference between principles and values. Values govern your behavior. Principles govern the consequences. Your values drive your behavior and determine your chosen habits. Deeply held values are more likely to influence you than those you admire, but haven't internalized. On the other hand, principles have more to do with the consequences of your actions, from condemnation or praise to punishments and rewards. The more your values and resulting behavior diverge from universal principles, the more likely you'll be judged and punished for them. I give you what happened in 1969. Values are the maps, principles are the territory. Values help you navigate the terrain in which you live, work and learn. Principles are inherent to the terrain, your entire world has many laws and the many laws govern. Whatever you bring to that world, principles are already there. You have no role in their creation or maintenance. And your values do not agree with, and if your values do not agree with those principles, your maps and navigation systems will fail. Values are subjective and emotional. Principles are objective and facts. Your values depend on your choice, personal preferences, and what you've learned from others. Principles are dependent on subjective experience and preferences based on facts or universal reality. They're objective and irrefutable. Whatever you believe and however you behave, principles just are. Values are personal. Principles are universal. Your values are your own. What should identify the values you hold most dear? They're intensely personal. They're who you are, or what to be, or both. Principles are universal and they don't rely on individual choices, beliefs, or moral codes. They're more likely to influence all three. The more personal values in a community align with those universal principles, The more cohesive and supportive that community is likely to be. Values are internal, principles are external. Values are formed and maintained inwardly as part of your internal guidance system. Your set of values exist only within you. Another person they share some of the same values, but their unique set and inherent prioritization will likely differ from yours. Principles are external to you know, and individuals in general. They exist outside of your mind and heart. And your will does not you. Values are chosen or adopted, principles are not. You choose your values or you adopt them from someone who influences you, and you can over time decide to abandon some values in favor of different ones. Principles are chosen. They exist independent of your will and understanding. You can choose values that align with them, but can't select the principles themselves. But you can choose to live by them. That's what values are for. Values can be destructive. Principles cannot. What happened in 1969 and ten years later with Peter Morales are examples of how destructive they can be. Values aren't based on an inherent sense of right and wrong. Your values govern your actions, even when those actions do more harm than good. Values don't align with universal principles like justice, equality, and altruism. They can be toxic and destructive. Principles, on the other hand, cannot be destructive. It's a diversion or defiance from defiance. Let's try that again. It's a deserved. The diversion from or defiance of those principles that causes most of it, if not all, the problem we face. The purpose of the changes to our bylaws is to align our values with our principles. The stories I share explain the necessity necessity doing so if we are to be true to who we are. Principles without values lead us without guidance. Values without principles fail to empower us. To now, please join me in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish with this flag, a love the flame, but not the of life truth, truth, the water the or the fire of heaven. We even carry our hearts, hearts and so we are together. together. Again. My closing words are about Michael Sulla. If you are proud of this church, Become its advocate. If you're concerned for its future, share its message. If its values resonate deep within you, give it a measure of your devotion. This church cannot survive without your faith, your confidence your enthusiasm. If destiny, the larger hope rests in your hand. The discussion question, when have your values not aligned with their principles and what were the consequences?